I'm going to argue with Jason that there's no such thing as a double switcheroo. Eh, Frank's a loser. Lodero. So I officially hate like 94% of Atlanta fans. Guys, I'm going to make you set down your teacups and take your pinky fingers and put them back into the fist that they need to be in because this has gotten far too cordial. I lost to the freaking cat team. Just a whisker. A whisker of a loss. Was that a rational RSL take from Jason? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm probably the most rational RSL fan. You just got lawyered by a non-lawyer, bro. Hello and welcome to the second 2020 preseason episode of the MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast, our preview of the Eastern Conference. This episode is brought to you by CCL Lawsuits and Injuries, a new MLS fantasy documentary coming February 2020. Wait, no, no, wait. I mean, uh, uh, brought to you by MLSFantasyBoss.com and our amazing group of Patreon supporters who have been with us here for this podcast for so long. Thank you to all of you all. You really helped make this possible and making a continuing uh, group, community, just fellowship of, of great fantasy minds and people and friends coming together. So thank you so much to the Patreon followers. I'm your host, Reed Connolly from MLSFantasyBoss.com, and I'm joined by my partner in fantasy again, Blaine Riffle, right here to camera view stage left i don't know if you're looking watching us live on youtube right now uh, otherwise the people out there in podcast land know him very well uh, mike will likely be with us a little bit later like last week getting some things wrapped up at home uh, we'd also like to welcome our special guest tonight josh weber uh, my friend fellow fan veteran fantasy player uh, is coming in tonight to help us talk about the east what's up josh hey guys how's it going Doing well. Thank you for coming. I know you've been a little bit under the weather and you've called in, so we're very happy that you could be here. Do you do you represent anybody, any entity in particular, or is just calling you veteran fantasy player the most appropriate thing? Yeah, I'm in business for myself. I don't I don't represent anybody uh, except uh, MLS in general. I'm I'm the original hashtag MLS is better than Europe. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, he does not mean he works for MLS. Let's be real clear right that. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> um, hello to everybody in chat right now. we got five people watching. Uh, if you guys want to sound off, I'll, I'll call your names. I know I see Chris right now. A couple of things real quick at the top of the show. Uh, thanks to everyone who gave us feedback about the first episode. I did upload a WAV file at first because when I was getting everything set up with SoundCloud, it said, hey, do you want to upload a high-definition quality version of this? And I said, well, sure. And then I got some feedback saying that that made it hard for the, the download. So I've gone back to MP3. If you missed out on the Western Conference episode, that is available in MP3 now. You should be able to download it right from the SoundCloud website. So we've gone back to that. I also got some feedback about the sound quality. I think we should be better. This week, Josh sounds pretty good. Blaine sounded pretty good. We switched to a new recording system. Uh, we're now using Zoom to do all of our recording. We were using Discord last year and uh, excuse me oh my gosh we were using discord last year and uh, then we were using of course google hangouts before that so we're still sort of getting some of the settings and everything sorted away with zoom but i appreciate the feedback with that and then finally uh, had some feedback about the sound of typing during the episodes and we may have narrowed that down. Uh, I recently purchased a mechanical keyboard from Logitech. Not a sponsor, but I do like their products. If you're listening, you can be a sponsor. Uh, I recently purchased a mechanical keyboard, and so I don't know 
if that was the sound. I do take notes during the show. Blaine also has a mechanical keyboard that he's used for a while, which to me does sound louder in the headset, but uh, it, it, may, it may be either one of us, so we're going to be more mindful of that. I have my laptop with me tonight, so if you guys are watching us and you notice me looking around a bunch, uh, that's because I'm sort of trying to type on a more quiet keyboard and read the chat on a larger monitor. So that's just some early housekeeping stuff that we have. Um, and we're just going to jump right back in to the actual fantasy content that you guys are here for. So Blaine, Josh, thank you so much. We're going to go right into segment one. And uh, last week that was called the current state of fantasy. And I see no reason to make it any different this week because we actually have more information. The game's not out, but we do know three things. One... We have the Fantasy Champion League. That's the big branding for this season for Fantasy. And apparently there's going to be some sort of broken up uh, system. It's it's a season-long game, but there's going to be, we know that too, it's going to be a whole season long, so not one half and one half. But the, the top 50 players in any of the four qualifying rounds, so there will be four rounds, will battle it out for the title of Fantasy Champion and Fantasy Champions League. So that's that's a cool thing we'll talk about in a second. Uh, we also know that there are locked team budgets from the tees, and also that the highest score from a double game week is the only score that a double game week player will earn on that round. So crazy stuff. I'm going to jump right into this. I have this in my head. I just keep hearing dive right in, which I've been watching a lot of YouTube people recently, and that seems to be the very common buzzword that I'm <laughs> trying to avoid. Um, so so let's blow the whistle and kick off. No, that's horrible too. Uh, but, but Josh, you had asked us before we started, Mike's not here yet. Who's going to be the old grumpy man? And and I don't know, but we'll get, we'll start out with you as our, as our special guest. What is your take on these three changes? Well, much like Mike, I'm a dinosaur too. Uh, not a fan of change. But given how it's been the last couple of years, I applaud them for trying something. Um, you know, you don't know if something's going to work or not until you try it. And clearly they've made a lot of changes that are going to definitely change the game. Um, I think it will make it easier for new players that are coming in to adapt to some of those changes, but also at the same time, if you've been playing the game for a while, several years, it's not going to be the game you may or may not have fallen in love with um, or whatever your strategy is, is definitely going to be altered by, uh, by these uh, salary cap changes. Blaine, your first thoughts. I really like this. Um, the two of these rules, uh, the locked budgets and the, highest score from the double game week were ones I was really trying to push last year at the season wrap up. I think I even threw them out there the year before. Um, I'll come at it from a little different standpoint on the rules because I know this is a little more hardcore crowd and these rules changes seem to be taking some strategy out of it. And I can argue most of those points, but I look through the scores every year. I try to see who's doing what I play in several other leagues on here not outside of here but i play in several leagues i've got one league that's about 20 strong but half our line half our group doesn't set lineups i look at the scores and the top 1500 2000 are usually somewhere somewhat competitive like you can see what those score what those overall scores come up as and you can see that if a few weeks broke their way they could probably be top 500 but they missed a few after that it really seems to taper off kind of quickly um to make anything like this worthwhile, the league needs to see 
returns on it. They need to see people active. I know we always brag about 25, 30,000 signed up early in the season, but how many of those stay active the whole time? And I'm for any changes that are going to make this, make the game more accessible and more casual friendly to try to keep things going. Um, I, I, I like my draft league because it's more intimate and more, more competitive, but I would love to know that there are 10, 15,000 people playing this every week and competitive and I'm competing against 10,000 because my top 500 finishes sound a whole lot better when I'm competing with 10,000 people rather than maybe 1500 to a thousand people like, Oh, I'm in the top quarter and I'm a, I'm a pro at this. I podcast this like this is, it, it, uh, it's just, it's one of those things. Like I have to look at everything through that mindset right now. Like we're here for the community, but our hardcore community, even on Reddit, there's a hundred names that show up quite a bit. There's another 500 names that we see here and there, but beyond that, like where, how many people are we actually reaching? How many people is the game reaching? And I love this champions league idea, especially if they do prizes for each 50 set and you can only win one prize and then you go into the champions. I don't know if that's what they're doing yet, but I love just keeping more people in giving people a better opportunity to play and keep coming at it that way where let's grow the player base. And once we have a 10,000 strong player base, then we can go back to some of the more competitive rules when we're a little more established as a game, because like I said, just my rough numbers that I've looked at and seen, it's about that top 2000 that seem to stick with it for the whole season and everybody else. It seems like they're missing whole game weeks here and there more often than not. And their scores just start dropping off fast. So let's start yeah, with, I could definitely agree with that. Let's start with the double game week uh, change, because I think that's the the one one of the well I don't know if that's fair or not but I'm going to say right now at, at this moment I feel like the double game week change is the one that's gotten a lot of people's attention uh, and Chris just made a comment in chat he said for me I aimed for DGW players who would be able to play both games and get a decent amount of points that is completely true and has been the tried and true method for the past several years with the, the introduction of all these double games and to me I like this change. Uh, one, what Josh was saying, it, it helps kind of keep things new and fresh. And also what Blaine was saying, it's it's looking at uh, just some casual players and people with different schedules. With the double game week, I'll also add, it makes things so template in a way. Every week, mm -hmm. uh, even on this show, we'd have our segment, all right, let's talk about our players. And the first question mm -hmm. was, are there actually any single game week players you're considering? Maybe Vela, maybe Joseph, but mm -hmm. no, you're not really seriously considering anybody. With this new format, what I'm excited about is that it makes single game week players with promising matchups very viable during the week. You will you will still get two bites at the apple. So I'm not going to say that you'll never be picking a double game week player because if you have maybe two easy games, hey, that could be two shots at a hat trick that you're going to really like. But if it's two mm -hmm. tougher games, two road games, some people are injured, you are worried about that injury or that rotation, mm -hmm. it makes the single game week guys uh, right up there at, at a good opportunity and you don't necessarily have to worry about... Um, losing out on some of those points because you still get the highest points so i i think it gives more flexibility and i think it really is more casual friendly or even let's let's get away from casual because we're not trying to dumb the game down i've, I've seen that a lot people say and my comment to that mm -hmm. is 
the game is not trying to be made easier. It is trying to appeal to the people who aren't as hardcore because we need everyone to play, not just the, the most hardcore daily fantasy stats people, mm. any kind of that. We need everybody to play. And so we're just being asked to do something different now. We're no longer being asked to play the numbers and get the captains and do all this season long or half season. We're just asked each week to try to pick the best player that we can with the budget that we have, the best team that we can with the budget that we have. So it's it's a different ask, and I think this is easier for people if you forget about that midweek game, if you can't get your team set, or if you're just joining. I mean, that's, that's the beauty with this change for a lot of these changes for me is if you're somebody who's just discovering soccer or just discovering your mm-hmm. soccer community a few weeks into half of the season into the, the league, you can come and play and start learning. And so for me, that's that's how I look at it. Yeah, and I've I've taken to Twitter a little bit defending this change because I the comments are coming out. Well, this is just going to fo- force everybody to single game week players, and that's a hard no from me. It's not going to push anybody just to strictly taking single game week players. You still have a lot of opportunity, and that two bites at the apple is huge. Um, one of the ones that uh, example that I love to bring up here is Bradley Wright Phillips is a guy that on his day has a great shot at scoring goals um, in, in the past. I mean, it's yet to be seen with him moving to L.A., but he's a guy that you'd love him in a double game week if he can score both games, but he was known for he'll get you seven points, he'll get you ten points, maybe 12, or a two. Well, when you've got him on a double game week and you're only taking that highest score, that brings a lot of upside for a guy like Bradley Wright Phillips who, if he only hits on one game, you're not taking a two lumped in there when you compare that to, say, a Sebastian Blanco, who we like and has been similar price point for the last few years. Uh, Blanco's got a much higher floor, so you take him in, a, in, in the, old, the old double game week rules, yeah, he'll get you 6, 8, 10 points pretty consistently, but each of those games is 5 or 6 points. Whereas Bradley Wright Phillips, you're now not taking that 2, you're taking that bigger score. And just think about that change. you got a high-floor midfielder versus a boomer bust forward. Now you're looking at, oh, that forward's finally viable. I could run a three-forward set on a double game week because they only need to hit on one game to really make up their points, whereas midfielders who are making those passes, they're not going to get double minutes and double bonus points and everything. They only get that one game. So you got to look at that and I have to say, it's not going to change anything for defenders, I don't think. You're still going to take a cheap double game week defender. Um, if he gets you three and three, he gets you three points, whatever. He's a cheap defender. But if he hits that one clean sheet, you've got your clean sheet and you've had two chances at it. Like it's, you're, still, you're still hunting for those same things. It just opens up the options of different players that you can look at compared to what we've had last time. Or you're going to be doing the same thing, like the double game week defenders. Like You always took them because a three plus a three is a six and that's a good score. That'll beat out most. That's on par with most single game weight, clean sheets or whatever. But now you're looking at, okay, two chance, two chances at a clean sheet. Whereas the other guy gets one. And if they're the same price and you get the same bonus points, either way you take the, you play those safe bets and go for your double game weight guys. So I don't think it's going to change the strategy. I think it's just going to make, or I won't say it won't kill the scoring. It won't kill the game. It'll just make your decisions a little different, but some of them are going to be the same too. Just you've got certain positions that you're always going to look at double game week guys for. So for me, I think the strategy is going to be there and you're going to see a lot more varied lineups this year with guys who think, Oh, the single game week guy's got a really easy matchup or, 
I'm going to play it a little safe, and I'm going to take a double game week guy and see if he can get me one good score over two games. For those of you just joining us, yeah. we are talking about the current state of fantasy. Mike is now with us, and uh, Josh, you had some comments to follow up with. Yeah, I was, I was going to piggyback on what Blaine was saying about the defenders. Um, I feel like when you talk about the template lineups, it's unlikely that we're still going to see um, the same lineups because on the defensive side, you may take the same offensors, the, the forwards, the goal scorers, the strikers. You might still pick the same ones because they have two bites of the apple. But for defenders, especially if uh, the defender has two away matchups or just one home game, um, when you're since you're not going to have those value rises and you're not trying to get you don't have the extra money to splash on your attackers this year, you might actually want to pass up on the more expensive double game week options on the backer line in order to go out and find that cheaper uh, right back who maybe make you know he's starting the one game his team has that week. Um, you know maybe they have the juicy home matchup against Nashville or Cincinnati or the expansion du jour. Um, and that actually will avoid seeing this kind of templates we've seen in the last couple of years where it's like, oh, well, everyone's got two defenders from NYCFC this week and everyone's got the same three attackers from uh, Toronto or, you know, the different, you know, favelas <laughs> and, and those types of players. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Mike, I'm sure you have an opinion about uh, the changes. We've been, we've been talking about double game weeks, but uh, we also mentioned the, the lock team budgets and the new Fantasy Champion League style with a, with a season long, but some 50 top people from the qualifying rounds. Uh, you're welcome to join it with double game week, or if you want to take us in a different direction, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say a few things about double game week, and forgive me if I've repeated what something else says. Uh, but to me, one of the best advantages of this rule change is that players don't have to worry about rotation as much. Anymore. You know, before it's like we need them to start both games because otherwise you're going to fall behind, especially in defenders. Uh, I mean, that was the hugest part of our conversation, double game weeks. It wasn't do you want to have a double game week or a single game week player. It was which double game week players are getting two starts this week. Um, I, I think that's a tough conversation or tough information for anyone to have. It was tough for us to have. It's certainly tough for casual players uh, to, to get that information. And it's really, really tough if you don't, if you're not online checking Twitter for the lineups. So I, I think for that part, I think there is a little bit of a relief. And I have seen some people argue that it's going to be a template. Um, we played our little homebrew league, the show league, which doesn't have double game weeks uh, whatsoever. I don't see templates there, you know, other than you, most people pick the best players, but that's going to be based on every week and that's what you're going to have. So I think you're actually going to see more diversity in, in teams from this. Now, as far as the other rules, um, I don't know exactly what the budget's going to be, which to me is a big thing, but I think a fixed budget is good because I mean, what I saw over the past two years it happened to Blaine last year. Two years ago, happened to me last year. If you don't get off to a good start, you just kind of really fall behind because that snowballs. If you get a good, big budget, you get a big price rise in week one and two, then you have much more money to get the better player who's almost a shorter price rise in week three, and so on and so forth. So I think it really did snowball and kind of take players out of the game pretty quickly from what we saw last year. So I'm interested mm. to see how the fixed budget works. Really kind of depends on where it is, which has been a little bit vague, depending on where on the internet you've been. <laughs> and which which person James Ballow is talking to. Um, now, as far as the Champions League, I don't have anything nice to say about that. <laughs> 
So I'll let you <laughs> yeah, Mike, I'll jump in on that one <laughs> one piece really quick. I last year was that year for me. Um, I started off the first season and I was a full two million ahead of you two. I think by about eight weeks in, yeah, six eight weeks in, because I know the first the first half I was doing I was killing it budget wise. I played it. Second half I think I fell behind both of you with by three weeks and I never caught up. The gap just kept widening after that. And so I saw I saw it both halves of last year and that did the first half. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm on top. But that second half when the snowball was out of control and I was comparing lineups with Jay and I was like, oh, we've got almost the same lineup, but you've got an extra two million. And that's why you switch this guy in. And it's like, that's the exact guy I would have put in. But I can't afford him this week. Um, Jay and I play a lot of the same lineups anyway. We just think alike, which is scary <laughs> for an SKC scary. and an RSL Collusion. guy. But <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but no i mean i i really felt it last year and that one it it kind of sucked for me i enjoyed the challenge and i kept going because it gave me a chance to look at some differentials and play a little different opened up some options that i normally wouldn't take because i'm a horrible person and always spend all my money whether the right thing to do or not i just feel like wasting money is a bad thing but I can see where that would turn off a lot of people, especially if you're out on Twitter or Reddit or anything trying to get some advice. And all of a sudden you see, oh, what, what's my team value this week? And everybody's like, oh, I went up $5 million in week one. And you're like, I got 1.1. Like right there, you're $4 million behind. And I can see how, the, how discouraging that could be just in the first two weeks. Especially because MLS never explained how that was happening. I mean, we took our best stabs at it. We could best chart. It made a little bit more, it was a little more obvious what was going on two years ago as opposed to this past year. But I don't really have a problem getting rid of the aspect of a game that wasn't public. You know, if you're not mm-hmm. going to put in the rules, you're not going to explain what's going on. I really don't have a, I don't, I don't want it to be determining who's winning and losing. And it had played too much of a role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to make it public, I, I don't have a problem with it. You know, because we've had it in the past. We're like, look, if it goes up so much, you know, in popularity, it's going to go up. We've had it a little bit more understandable. If, if you're not going to make it understandable, it shouldn't be determining who's win, who wins and loses. So I've got a teaser right Mike, now. Mike, this is MLS. It's tradition to not tell you all of our rules up front. <laughs> because MLS. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's more MLS a tradition to not tell you the rules up front and then to change them like midway through the season, which I don't feel like Ben like really just went all out on that, you know. No, no, we don't change anything until after you sign the collective bargain agreement, and then we <laughs> change everything. <laughs> So I've got a little bit of a teaser about the price changes. Uh, Mike did mention our friend James. James is another MLS employee who's uh, been reaching out to us and has been helping sort of uh, talk about some things. And he has agreed to come onto our show uh, and talk more about the price changes. He works on the app development side. So he's often one that I've directed people to. If you sent me emails or some messages or DMs on Twitter just saying, hey, I had this issue. Uh, James has, has been really great to help troubleshoot those. Uh, he's helped with some of this this algorithm stuff. So while he may not be able to tell us 100% everything that happens, because I know some things are clearly probably proprietary to the vendor, uh, round two, I believe, is when we're going to have James come to the show to tell us more about how the price changes are going to work. I say round two because it's going to have to have a round before we can actually start seeing some numbers to help us make sense. Otherwise, we're just telling you to cross your fingers and hope that what we're telling you is right. So James will be able to point to player changes to help illustrate his point. And then, of course, we'll try to have Ben for round one. Uh, But in 
that uh, since we're moved over to the lock team budgets, uh, I also like this change. Again, um, what what we're hearing, we haven't gotten confirmation on the exact team value, but what we're hearing is that it's probably not going to be a hundred million uh, because the the rumor is that it's going to be more similar to a late season budget cap than it is the beginning of the season. So I, I don't know I don't know what that means, uh, but it just sounds like it's probably not going to be a hundred. Million. So for those people who are really worried about uh, like the price of Vela, we've got a Blaine and, and I think Shannon and uh, people are talking about Vela right now in the chat. Hey Joe, hey Shannon, hey Adam. By the way, um, the it sounds like we'll have some padding at the beginning, so it's not going to be as tight. The other tidbit that James has sort of leaked out on on Twitter is it's. It's not necessarily going to be inflation out of control. The max a player can rise is, is $1 million, uh, which does sound crazy, but it sounds like some of the price rise will be countered by price fall from other players. Uh, when I mentioned it to him that it sounded a little bit like the ELO system, uh, which we have on MLSFancyBoss.com with their power rankings and then very popular in chess. Whenever you win, you essentially take some points away from your opponent to add to your score, and they lose those points in their ranking. So it, it all balances out. That sounds like what we're going to be looking at, potentially seeing some here with MLS. Of course, we still do have a maximum, minimum, a minimum threshold of $4 million for the players. So they clearly can't go any lower than that, so some things might change a little bit. But it, it sounds like it's supposed to be a little self-correcting. If that is the case, I'll get ahead of you guys before I turn you loose. If that is the case, I, I think that sounds pretty fair. I mean, we want the players to be valued at what's fair. We want we all want to find the diamonds in the rough and the out-of-position players and try and take advantage of that. But ultimately, we do want them to be accurate representations of what they are. And it will create some tough decisions, I think. I think it will lead to, if Vela hits $18 million or something crazy like that, that will be based on his performance. And people could have been writing that, getting those points, and great. But at some point, do you say... You know, he's 18 million. Maybe I can get two 9 million guys in here for the same price and they'll outscore him. Like, I, I think that's an interesting, an interesting tactic. We've had it before, but depending on your, your value of your team, it necessarily hasn't been a big press for you to push for differentials and push mm -hmm. for other options that might work. And maybe those don't necessarily come with the big guys. Maybe you still will spend $18 million to get Vela or whatever it happens to be or whoever it happens to be. But maybe it's going to be, well, do I want to get that guy who is $10 million, Or can I get a guy who is 6 and have him score just as well then have a guy $4 million on the bench that I don't need to worry about and change up my formations? Or do I want to get the guy, mm -hmm. can I get two people who are who are six or a six and a seven for my 13 instead of dropping that on Ladero and going with this. So um, I, I think it will open some interesting calculations there and tactics and strategies for what people play. Um, Josh, we'll just go with you. You were ending up that last one. Lock team budgets from that point of view, any easier to swallow? Yeah, it's easier to swallow. <clears throat> um, I think I can piggyback that off what Blaine was talking about earlier as far as growing the game and appealing to new players and casuals. I mean, when you look at some of those numbers over the last four or five years where you have 25, 27, 30, 33,000 people playing, but you're not seeing that many people interacting with the game on a week-to-week -week basis because, you know, they made it to week five, and then that was the first international break where there's only five games to pick from, and they, and they forgot all about it, and they didn't set their lineup, and now they're trying to play catch-up the entire time. Um, mm -hmm. I can even remember back to one year where I was inside the top 100 
And I think we were a week or two away and I totally missed a transfer deadline and just, you know, I'm sure we've all been there that one week life happens and you miss, you miss that deadline and your whole ranking system, everything you put work into for weeks or months is just gone. You're like, well, what was, you know, that, that's just unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So at least in this, um, with the salaries being like that, it will be easier to miss a week or not give a hundred percent effort or attention to the game in that week, especially for casuals um, as they're trying to fall in love with the league or find a reason to continue to watch it. Or maybe it's available on TV in their area for the first time, uh, whatever the case may be. And uh, I think that can only be better because, you know, the guys that have been around us dinosaurs, like I said earlier, we can sit here and scream about the changes all we want. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we don't have new people, we're just playing with ourselves. Truth. (laughs) I see what you did there. Uh, Blaine and Mike, anything to add? Go ahead. Yeah, I've been talking about strategy all night. Um, One of the big things that you hit on, Reed, was do I take Vela or do I take two 9 million guys? You know, if Vela climbs up to that hypothetical 18 that you talked about, and let's say they shoot for the moon and give us 130 on the value. 18 million is a huge percentage of that. But last year, as I found, one of the big drawbacks I had to having a smaller budget last year was I couldn't run the Aru's. I couldn't run a switcheroo or an auto to the same degree. When you can fit Vela in your lineup and then grab two 9 million forwards for a switcheroo or an auto like that's huge. Grab a couple extra midfielders. Um, now with the fixed budget, you can't climb above everybody else. But if that guy like Vela and Martinez and stuff, yeah, you can fit both of them in one week. You're going to pinch your budget. Or you could grab a potentially cheaper midfielder and a better forward, and you could you could have some bench options to look at. And if Joseph gets that two that he does every so often, or Vela has an off game and only gets you five points, I mean, your, your point your, – your money per points on that, which is a huge stat that I like to look at, goes way down that week, and you're just you've just wasted so much money. You can you can hedge your bets, and we know a ruse helped get your consistency up. And you know we're playing in five week five six week sprints right here or here. If you're in that last week and you're comfortably in the top thirty, and you're just trying to hold on, you don't swing for the fences all the time for one big name. You go with your safe bets and. You play your three. You play your two. Your arus. You get your guys that. Oh, I can get. I can swing for the fences, or I can take a chance at a, a six and an eight coming off the bench, and and raise your instead of taking that other guy that was going to get you a two. Like you can avoid some of those killer scores and try to save your spot and get it qualified for that Champions League. Like there is so much stuff going on here with this. You're you're opening up a lot of strategy, and just depends on what your goals are. But I know Joe mentioned it, and or Shannon asked a question, and Joe made a comment. Mm-hmm. Shannon asked, are price, cha- are price rises for players still going to be in effect on double game weeks? And absolutely, yes. Prices are going to change, just like we saw last year. Maybe a little different algorithm this year, but they're still going to change. And I thought the system was very self-correcting last year. Guys that started off at $6 million that were putting in goals like a $10 million player started climbing up closer to that $10 million by the by halfway through the season. Like It was, it was good. And then Joe made the question or Joe asked the question, like, what's this going to do at the end of the season? Um, you, I mean, if no matter what the budget set at by the end of the season, is these premium players that outperform even their expectations or perform like they should and keep climbing and don't plateau, you just may not be able to get them. 
and that's fine because everybody's going to feel that that crunch and i play in a couple of private leagues i know we do the mlsfi head-to-head league like end of the season is where everybody's got to be on their game to try to finish it out and end of the season is where your differentials are going to be the most prominent that they've been all year as everybody climbs in price you're going to have to start looking for differentials as your budget starts shrinking because it's going to every it, it it'll still be the same number but it's going to feel like it's shrinking because player prices will start climbing so I want to hit on the the last change real quick for those of you just joining us. We're wrapping up our discussion about the current state of fantasy. And uh, this last one is the Fantasy Champions League. And this is a return to the season-long game. And from our understanding so far, there will be four qualifying rounds where the top 50 players from each round are basically set aside or you punch your ticket or you find your golden ticket or whatever other fun little thing you want to say to then enter into a final 200 player battle for i guess that's about eight weeks is what the the teaser said uh for whatever special prize there is for the champions league here my understanding is that you don't get multiple entries because they want 200 players so if you get in the top 50 in the first chunk then it's just going to keep going down and looking at the the next person next people next group within that uh, that chunk that uh, could qualify for the top 50 that have those final 200. So I think they're going to be prizes for overall and for the champions. I, I, we haven't heard anything about prizes yet, but that's just what kind of makes sense to me, I guess. Uh, but I think that's kind of fun. I know, Mike, it sounded like you were not too thrilled about this. The reason I like it is because it gives people something to play for as you join. Again, I'm going to go back to if you are a, a new person, you've just found your soccer community, you're just getting into this, and you come in in round five and you're like, oh crap, I'm already behind. I, I'm never going to make this up. There's nothing really to play for. I can kind of just dabble with this and, and to see. But then someone says, oh, well, you know, in two or three more weeks, we're going to start a new chunk over and you have a chance to get into this Champions League and maybe get a super cool prize. Oh, well, Okay, I'll see. What, maybe maybe we get them, get them to stay for a little bit longer. Maybe they don't become season long players, but they get the taste of it. Maybe they come back and and try. But uh, I like that because I do think it gives little micro games within the larger game still for people to become interested and come back in and not feel like they've been left in the dust. Mike, you did not think very highly of this change, though. I did not. Um, I sort of felt like all they did was they take took the unpopular season split. Uh, you know, they had the fall and the spring season and they just made three more splits or I guess I mean, yeah, I guess three more splits because you have four segments and then the last segment. Um, this to me is just a gimmick. Uh, if you're worried about casuals and feeling something to play for, just have something to play for. Just have weekly prizes. That's something to play for. And especially now with the budget not changing, that's something that they can have. Um, and by the way, Gemma, is, if you're not on video, Gemma is with me. And Gemma's just taking out stuff from my ear so that I can't talk <laughs> or hear what anyone else is saying. It's, so if anyone is saying something to disagree, I can't hear it, so I don't have to acknowledge it. So this is great. Um, yeah, to, to me, it's just a gimmick. Um, it, it, to me, it's just a desperation to come up with some excuse to plug it on extra time. And the fact that that is the scenario that we're in just makes me mad. Like, this is the fantasy game. It should be part of the culture, part of the routine conversation. 
it shouldn't be that we have to create gimmick after gimmick year after year in order to try to get something plugged on the league's own podcast. And we've had this before. They're not going to plug it. That's just it. Like I, I've yet to see them actually take advantage of all of these opportunities to plug the game to casuals. They just don't do it. So why don't we just have an overall game? Why don't we do our focus on weekly prizes or anything like that? Why are we continuing to put in gimmick after gimmick of the game to appeal to casuals and then not bother to promote the game to casuals to get them in the door? You know, last year I talked about getting rid of unlimited transfers, going back to FPL. You know, that would be at least get a much bigger group in rather than all of these gimmicks, you know. I'm I'm just not impressed. I don't know if it's going to be bad or not. It's just it doesn't do anything for me. It's like, okay, I got to keep track of my standing in a six week sprint now. To to me, it actually reminds me of when NASCAR introduced the chase. Um, if anyone of you have followed NASCAR, because I know there's a huge overlap between the MLS and NASCAR. Community. Maybe, <laughs> but it's that's when NASCAR started to go downhill because it became so hard to follow for the average fan that they just left. And that's kind of what I expect to people. Like, I don't think casuals would be like, Oh, this is great. I can just go six weeks and be like, wait, there's a six week sprint and a champions league. What? Uh, this is too much. What, what, what's the weekly game again? And that's where they're going to go. Fair. No, we'll find out. Uh, Josh thoughts on that. Well, I can't speak too much to the, uh, NASCAR aspect, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, no, I, the I will also defend uh, extra time. I've someone been listening to extra time radio for a long time. As the league continues to grow, and we have these expansion teams added to it, and there's more stuff for them to constantly talk about, and they're still only doing two shows a week, and they try to keep it an hour. They don't have enough time to fit in everything happening in their own league. And as we all follow this league, we know there's tons of crazy stuff that we, you know, hear about occasionally, you know, behind the scenes in the locker room, just player movement. I mean, the window that just is open now as teams are finalizing their rosters, there's so much they don't even get to cover. Um, sometimes they don't have time to plug fantasy just as a, they're a victim of their own, uh, you know, all, all the news that's being generated by the league that they're supposed to be covering. Um, I don't know if the answer to that is doing more shows a week or having a different show that comes out that's just for MLS Fantasy, but maybe not something that they do at 10 a.m. on a weekday when people are at work and they put it on YouTube. Um, you know, I know Ben and Bobby did that show last year, um, but they never pushed it out into podcast form. And uh, so that's something that, for me, that wasn't something I could get a hold of easily. Uh, and I was never going to take the time to go back and watch something um, from YouTube a couple of days later when the information might not be uh, current. But to get back to Reed's question... Um, I am looking forward, actually, I think, to to the champions thing. Um, maybe selfishly, as someone who usually f- finishes, um, you know, inside the top 100, 150. Um, so having the opportunity to actually pay more attention and maybe um, push for a, a top spot and then have, uh, you know, a Champions League for, for us veterans, us diehards out there that are doing well in the game. Um, I could see where that could be something they've added to try to keep our interest the people that have been around for a while's interest while a lot of the changes are geared towards the newbies and the casuals and uh, the audience that they're trying to bring in. Um, so there, there is something here for everybody. I could, I, could, I see where they're trying to go. Um, but I, I do also seem like point of view as far as 
they have to push that narrative and someone has to be the machine behind it to keep driving it forward. Um, and part of that's us and what, what Reed's doing here at MLS Fantasy Boss. Um, I always talk about NFL fantasy because that's the, the big machine that everyone knows and plays. But, you know, that stuff wasn't popular back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, that, that took time. And eventually the league seeing that there was money to be made off it in order for them to start putting their media arm and everything behind it and pushing that. Same thing with baseball um, fantasy. So it, I don't know at what point in, in their history and their timeline they're going to realize that there is profit to be made here if they continue to grow a game that that everyone likes. Um, I know for for a couple of years I was one of those uh, team draft league people that was saying, oh, you know, they, they, need a, they need a draft league on the website. You know, not everyone likes salary cap and number crunching, but people can relate to, oh, I have this player and no one else does in my league. Um, but until they can grow the grow the base first, um, there's no sense in, in putting any capital into having a draft league uh, like they did. I think it was seven, eight years ago. They, they have one and um, no one really played it. It wasn't promoted or anything like that. There's no sense in having all that infrastructure if there's no one that's going to play the game and help it thrive. So I, I think this might be the right angle. Um, nothing else has worked yet, so why not try it at least <laughs> uh, to, to – uh, to try to grow the fan base, um, you know, grow the people that are playing and not just like, oh, well, I created an account and made a lineup one week. So I'm part of that 30,000, 31,000. But someone like Blaine was saying, like someone is actually in that 1,000, 2,000 people that are playing week in and week out because they're falling in love with the league until we start growing that core and that base. Um, no, nothing else really is going to, is going to matter. Um, I hate to say that, but that's, uh, you know, I don't really think it's going to matter until they get to that point, and then the sky's the limit. Um, but but it just it takes time. Um, the league's still only 25 years old. I'm, I'm, I know the fantasy aspect certainly hasn't been around that long. Um, you know, and I still remember playing NFL fantasy back in the 90s, uh, getting box scores out of a newspaper with people laughing. Oh, nerd! What is that? You know, so I mean, all that <laughs> stuff changing now. You know, now you have shows on ESPN that are dedicated to fantasy football. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, round the clock. It seems like uh, that that's just exploded, and that all happened when the when the NFL realized, hey, if we put our media arm behind this and, and drive this narrative, uh, what that will only help. It helps everyone. Helps the teams. Helps the players. You know, uh, people want to watch games that their team isn't playing in. It's no different than us on a Wednesday night. Oh, I have nothing to do at seven thirty. Well, I just picked up this striker on a double game week let me tune in and see if he scores in the first 60 minutes for sure uh, you know it's the same it's this it's the same the same principles are there it just takes the right the right mixture um and and the base of people playing to uh to get it to that point for sure no that's it and i and i think you're right it's all about the numbers and getting people interested and i hope these changes go a long way if you do have some beef with what goes on please do come in and play. We do need those numbers. We do need those actives. If you like fantasy, uh, this, like I said earlier, this is just a different ask. We're being asked to do something a little bit different this year. It's not a downgrade. It may not be an upgrade from how you look at it, but it's just a different, a different ask for how to play the game. So I do encourage everyone to at least try it, give it a, a chunk, a season, a six weeks, a five weeks, at eight weeks, whatever that, that chunk ends up being, uh, just see, see how it is. And if you're really as good as you claim, I get all these comments from you people out there who are like, this is so easy. They're dumbing it down. All right, go finish in the top 50. Let's see. Let's see how well you do. Come on, let's play. Uh, maybe that should be the new tagline. 
come on, let's play. Um, but that's a good conversation for this. Uh, we're going to move on. Thanks for those of you who submitted questions online and in chat. Uh, we're going to go on now to our second segment of the show, talking about our Eastern Conference team preview. And just like last week, we are going to be looking at the top tier, the mid tier, and the bottom tier as we define uh, the, the tiers ourselves. I think Matt Pollard put it very well last week. That My question was, how do you determine fantasy potential when you're ranking these teams? And his uh, the Reader's Digest of his general answer to that question was you're not just looking for the player who can score the most you're not just looking for the player who's cheapest or the player who is out of position you're looking for the player that can give you the best value for the money and the best bang for your buck however you want to phrase that uh, over the long run or the short run now that we have these these little chunks so that's that's what potential is uh, not necessarily the star on the team either but the guy who's going to be able to generate those points either from the raw the raw point generating stats like the goals and the assists but also from the bonus points from getting those those actions the tackles the cbis the crosses all that kind of stuff so uh, i think that's unless you guys have a different definition no okay good we're gonna jump into it we're gonna dive right in as they say in in youtube world uh, we're gonna we're gonna start talking about the top tier teams for the eastern conference uh, mike will let you kick it off all right, so top-tier teams, I think you, you've probably started off with the team who represented the Eastern Conference last year, and that's Toronto. Um, they returned most of their big players. Um, you know, their, their biggest questions are injuries. Uh, Michael Bradley will be out for a while. Josie Altidore always seems to be injured. Um, but, you know, when they're healthy, they're one of the best teams in the East. Uh, obviously, Atlanta United is still one of the better teams in the East. Um, you know, they've taken a number of hits this offseason as far as departures. But I still think as far as MLS, I, I still think they'll be up there. Um, and I think I would probably end the e e East. Maybe, maybe there might be one other team um, as far as the top tier with um, New York City. Um, returning pretty much everyone except for the coach. Uh, and while I think that is a big loss, I, th I think they'll lose a little bit. Um, as far as fantasy-wise, Maxi Morales is, is one of the best players in the game. Um, we, we probably won't get as oh, much of a value for Abear. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get as much of a value for Abear anymore. Um, and then, you know, Tinner Home is, is a pretty good goal producing. So if you take, you know, your top-tier fantasy teams as teams, when they have a good matchup, I can get three players. New York City's up there. Atlanta's up there. Uh, and Toronto's up there. I mean, they're teams where you're like, man, I, I could have four. Um, maybe on the outside, New England, if um, we see more of what we saw from uh, the mm -hmm. second half, uh, I, I could see Bruce Arena with a full preseason getting them into that tier. Um, but I, I think that's where I would leave it for the top tier in the East. Yeah, that's a good shout-out. And that is the little uh, extra addendum I added to uh, fantasy potential last week as well was uh, for me and it still maintains the same for for the eastern conference those teams that pretty much easily i could look at a team and say yes there are three players i'm going to want to seriously consider almost every week uh, is a top tier team to me a mid-tier team of probably just a couple players uh, or maybe a situational three player or more mm -hmm. but uh, uh, definitely a, a two player solid two player team and then the bottom tier teams to me are players are teams where it's either one or zero players most chances so josh who are your top tier teams 
Uh, I'm going to echo what Mike just said because the three he mentioned are the same three I would put in that top tier um, between Atlanta. Um, we know exactly what they're all about here um, and what they've done since they've entered the league here the last few years. And Toronto, um, health is a big key, but they've just reloaded, um, you know, a couple DPs. Hashtag pray for Josie hamstrings. But, uh, <laughs> and, and New York City, um, you know, they, they didn't lose hardly anything off of that team, uh, like Mike said, except the coach coming in. Um, so I think they're, they are primed to um, see if they can push even uh, for more points and more of a uh, playoff pedigree uh, this upcoming season. If I had to throw one more dark horse, someone that could enter that top tier, I wouldn't say Philadelphia because we'll see if they was last year at the peak, was that as high as they could go? Um, DC is going to come down from where they finished last year, finishing fourth uh, with the loss of uh, Wayne Rooney and Lucho. Um, you know they're going to they're going to fall right into that solidly in that mid tier. But I think the one team that could surprise might be uh, Columbus and what Caleb Porter is building there. Um, they've certainly brought in the pieces in midfield with Darlington Nagby, and uh, you know that's a, him and Caleb Porter obviously have a connection, having played together um, or played for him before in Akron. And Portland, and uh, they've got the depth, they've got the continuity. Um, so that might be like the one dark horse I would uh, I would shout out for that top tier. Blaine, anybody else you'd like to add? I know you're no. you're a bit out there in the west. You're a west guy, but yeah, no, being a Western Conference guy, like I I was having trouble with this because I didn't want to really disagree with Mike. I didn't want to disagree with anybody, but you know. I think Atlanta might be the only top tier team the way I'm looking at it right now. Oh, oh. New York City New York City's got a new coach. They're in flux. That okay. can change a lot. Like it's it's unproven. Like that that's the best way to do it. Philadelphia, I mean, finished third on points last year in the East, but they're in flux a little bit. They've some pretty good roster turnover. New England was surging late. I think they're probably a little more stable, but you know, and then it, injury issues in Toronto. I mean, if Josie and Bradley don't start the season, um, that means teams can really key off on Pozuelo. That really hurts his value. You got to look at some of the new additions, but I just, it's all a lot of unproven teams and that's hard to put in the top tier for me. If there's one team that I, I kind of like to throw up there as well. I like DC United. I know they lost Rooney and I know they lost uh, Lucho, but Lucho was dead weight last year and it felt like when they were putting him in, he wasn't he wasn't doing anything. Like they were playing him because they had money in him, but they weren't playing him because he was good. Or he was playing well last year. Like that was just and then I I've been high on Ola Kamara for a long time. Uh, back to his Columbus days, he was a proven fantasy player. <clears throat> I think giving him an offseason and a full year to train with these guys, I think that could be the piece that really turns DC around and puts them up there close to a consistent top tier fantasy team out of the Eastern Conference. I just I look at that and I think Ola Kamara is going to be on my radar every week to start the season because I just I mean there's no Josie. There's you gotta I know what Mike says about New York, but New York City, like they've had kind of scoring by committee. They rotate. If one guy starts off cold, you don't want to get on that. It's a bear's been there, but I, I just, I, I see a lot of question marks on this one. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I see a lot of potential flux. So I'm going to say Atlanta is my only top tier team out of the East this week. Bold, bold. Now, Josh, DC is your team, right? 
It is, but I'm contractually obligated. I'm not allowed to hype them up like that. So thank you, Blaine. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> but you know, why stop Josh, there? I mean, DC Blaine? got. <laughs> I, I didn't, but but you know who did get paid? Julian Gressel. I mean, DC did get Atlanta's best player from last season, the last couple seasons, and now he's in DC on the better United. So why not just throw him right up there at the top, Blaine? Didn't I pay you enough? <laughs> I need another case of beer for that. <laughs> no, I I completely forgotten about Gressel. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I had DC up so high. I just for, I just I forget that he's there. I just have this ingrained DC's going to be hot to start the year. I'm getting in draft mode already, and so I'm looking at DC yeah. players pretty heavily. And I just forgot he's there. I do like your shout for Columbus. I had them last year as a solid playoff option. Um, I think they massively underperformed, um, but the way they've started preseason so far, I do. They've got a lot to prove because they finished tenth with 38 points last year. So I can't make them a top tier team. So I I agree with what Adam said in chat and and the Josh's dark horse. I had Columbus on my list as a top tier team because I'm looking at that roster for Columbus and I could easily see and maybe it's situational, but I can easily see easily see some of the quality that was added last season. I start going, yeah, I could I could get Zardis. I grabbed Zardis several times last year. He had a hard time finishing, and that definitely needs to be fixed. But he was taking those shots. I could easily see myself looking at somebody like like Santos, who was coming on fantastic uh, as uh, that Higuain step up when he when he was known to play and i like diaz a lot whenever whenever he was really he's the speed that's crazy so i like that i like midfielders that they have right there and then in at defense columbus has got a lot of defensive options that that i find pretty attractive with uh valenzuela healthy i like him back in the mix and i like awful both sides are very attack oriented uh mensa got good point production last year with his cbs and uh I, I like their chances. So I could easily see myself looking at a Columbus team and going, yeah, there are three solid players from this team that, that I could find attractive. Maybe I mm-hmm. can go with you, Josh, about a dark horse because there may still be that qualifier of, but if they're playing LAFC, maybe maybe not. So it, it may be too situational. But I do think that Columbus is a good shout. I've been impressed with what they've done in preseason. So I have them currently on my list, along with Atlanta, along with New York City, Toronto for me becomes more of a fringe team. Get to that in the in the mid tier section. Uh, but I also have DC on here as well. Um, I think it's good, Josh, for you to point out some of the hesitation for that as a fan for us to all keep in mind. But what I'm most impressed about is what kind of connection uh, Gressel, Assad, Ariola can build with with Kamara if they can be. Um, the keys to helping unlock his scoring potential and being dangerous themselves. I still think you have those, those people. I mean, Gressel can even be down there on defense and doing that same thing. So he is not necessarily not going to be in the midfield, but still having Burnbaum, still having brilliant back there and, and Hamid, I can easily see them as a, as a team with three players that would be attractive to me for, for lots of weeks. We should yeah, probably absolutely. note on, Oh, I was just going to say on Gressel, um, and Josh can feel free to correct me with Ariola being out for a few months, maybe the rest of the whole season with an ACL injury that was announced today. I'm wondering if Russell's going to be listed as a defender, but get a lot of playing time in mid- midfield, maybe one of those classic fantasy, um, you know, prizes of playing out of position, playing, you know, is priced too cheaply, maybe a must have if, if that's the case. I'll be really interested to see when the, 
placing and positions come out where Dressel is located. And Adam just mentioned in chat that Columbus also has Hoberg, which is an MLS FI show favorite player. Uh, but Axel Hoberg is also now over at Columbus. So, yes, good call, Adam. He's a good shout-out. Bit of a depth player at this point. Depth. There we go. Player at this point, but quality. Quality. All right, well, let's move on. If there's nothing else to say, let's move on to our mid-tier teams here. So, again, for me, maybe a couple players. Uh, Josh, we'll let you start this one out. Sure. Uh, mid-tier, if we had done this two days ago, um, <laughs> you know, DC, DC probably wouldn't have been here for me. I would have put them at the bottom of that top tier um, just from my homerism and optimism of the season. But like Mike just mentioned, with Paul uh, tearing his ACL, Unfortunately, in a, the preseason game against uh, Orlando uh, this past week um, weekend, that's gonna that's gonna put a damper on that. It sounds like it might just be a partial tear, where maybe he's back in June instead of missing the whole season. But uh, either fingers way, um, yeah, fingers crossed. That was the one spot where they had depth. DC, fortunately, so I think what that will do is we'll take all the talk of Julian Gressel playing right back and eliminate that. You'll see him either um, out on the right wing or even playing as a number eight or a number 10 centrally where he's been lining up um, some this preseason. So we'll see where he eventually settles in. But you would think it'll be the right wing with Paul missing time. Um, so that could be a nice connection with Ola, just like, yeah, with Joseph, if they could uh, form that. And like Mike alluded to, if he does for some reason have defender eligibility, I would be surprised because he's always been a midfielder, I think, since he's been in the league for the game, but if he does have defender eligibility, that would be a real, um, I mean, ever, everyone's going to have Gressel. If he could be getting clean sheet points with that defense, along with uh, taking all the, uh, he's been taking all the corners and set pieces as well in the preseason games. So that's, that's always something we look to uh, note for set pieces. Um, I doubt he would take the penalties. I still think Ola would be the one probably to take the, uh, the penalties as the lone striker really on the whole team uh there's there's no real backup to ola except for a a 20 year old journeyman estonian <laughs> striker so uh you know wrap him up in bubble wrap just like josie but uh the other thing i would shout out is with gressel moving up you'll probably look for russell Knaus to be playing um as a right back like he did the end of the year um, I think he had he started the last five games of the season at right back, and DC had ended with five straight clean sheets heading into the playoffs. So clearly, we know why DC. I don't love their defensive depth at the moment, as long as they don't miss, sustain any injuries with Burnbaum, Brilliant, Hamid, Canal, Samora, any of those backline defenders. Um, as long as those prices don't jump up too high, will be good guys to grab uh, to grab early on in the season, and we'll see how that how that goes but the one key there could be if Knauss has defender eligibility because he has been playing right back I don't know if, if MLS or Ben or whoever makes that decision will, will go that far because he's traditionally been a midfielder but if he could have defender eligibility who then ends up playing some games in the midfield later in the season that could also be an interesting uh, position wrinkle I know we always like to try to hunt for those uh, discrepancies and exploit the system where we can uh, but yeah, well, that's okay. enough about DC for, for me for now. <laughs> that's fine. We appreciate the insights. Uh, Blaine, you want to come in this time? 
Yeah, I think at this point with the way I picked Atlanta for the first one, I think it's safer, easier to say everybody but Orlando, um, Cincinnati, and Chicago is mid tier for me. <laughs> like I just I feel like the the East is kind of wide open in the middle of the pack. Uh, Montreal may be flirting, maybe flirting with that bottom tier. Um, it's just it depends on how they rebuild around Piatti, but. I mean, any of those other teams could easily bubble up to the surface. We've given Columbus a lot of love. Um, I think they've got if their if their lineup is as good as advertised, and they're going to outperform that thirty-eight points they got last year total. Like they could easily be that second best team in the Eastern Conference if Toronto gets healthy quickly. Uh, they'll be right back up at the top if New York City adjusts to the new coach. They'll jump up there. New England could keep it going. Um, like we said, I didn't put DC in my top tier, but DC could definitely be up there. Philly's another one. They've got some young players that are really stepping up, and they look to be solidifying. They cut some dead, some not dead weight, but they cut some players that were productive because they have some faith in these other guys. Like I just, I see a lot of potential on a lot of teams here, and so the East is going to be, especially fantasy, it's going to be a week by week. Who who are they playing, and. I want to see how they start this first week. I want to see what teams look like. I want to watch all the games and see what's going on because that's going to really determine what happens is how well these teams gel with new situations and as they're in flux because all those teams have a lot of moving parts right now, and I don't know what to expect from any of them. I will ask you one more DC question, Josh, because we had a question from Jason in chat who wanted to know about Flores. Who? Who? No, don't, don't worry about him. You know, don't, don't make me jinx him, please. Uh, no, we're, we're all very excited about Flores. Um, he did just start training with the team um, officially last week once his visa got cleared, and then he already had picked up a slight knock where he was not going to be playing in any of the preseason games until next week. So we still haven't, as fans, gotten to really see him um, in a D.C. uniform and see what he brings to the table. But we obviously know what he did in Liga Mekis the last couple of years and what he's done for the Peru national team um, over the last five or six years. So um, I would imagine coming into the game as the high-priced DP, he'll probably have, you know, that $10 million price tag as a midfielder. Um, and being that he's starting off uh, later than most, uh, he might not be one you want to target week one, week two. Um, in the early going, you might want to just wait and see uh, once he's fully fit and once he's playing either on – he'll be playing either centrally or on the left-hand side because um, Assad is also injured. Um, but they're hopeful he can make the 18th for opening weekend. Um, but I would imagine that once you see him get going, we'll know right away if this guy's justifying his $9.5 or $10 million price tag. Again, I'm speculating, but I'd be shocked if it's not up there. Um, or if there's better options to spend that money on early, maybe let his price fall. And then, knowing that he's up to speed, maybe he's a, a good target in the spring to add in um, once he starts to gel with his teammates at a at a lower price at that point. Excellent. There you go, Jason. Hope that uh, was helpful. Mike, mid-tier. All right, so I kind of put this in the category of teams that signed a big Mexican uh, DP that we all were not really sure Fair. how it would work out. Because that's Fair. pretty much what characterizes um, DC United – uh columbus um it's not quite as true for philadelphia they kind of made their big mexican signing last year 
Um, but I'm just not sure if they have enough to get into that top tier. We just didn't see consistency out of them, and that's really what I want to see uh, for them to get into the top tier. Um, I also kind of hesitantly have inner Miami here because I don't really know what's kind of going on with them. I kind of have them as lower mid-tier to bottom tier, um, but I can see the money that they've spent being just enough to kind of get them out where they're like sniffing around a playoff spot, but don't end up getting it. Uh, and the last team I'm going to put in the mid tier is the New York Red Bulls. I don't have any logic for that other than I don't think the sports world loves me enough. The Red Bulls will be a trash team. Uh, but maybe they will be uh, and I'll be happy, but I'm not going to jinx it. Um, so I, oh, I'm, I'm just going to assume don't that the Red worry. Bulls. I, I'm always worried. Uh, I'm just going to assume for, for fantasy purposes, the Red Bulls will actually be an interesting team that they'll have a bunch of young guys who will be underpriced. Um, so maybe we get some good quality starts out of them. Um, so be something to keep an eye on. Uh, we have lots Very of feedback. True, but I'm not allowed to put them on my team just out of principle. So. <laughs> well, well, since you guys can't talk about them, chat's been talking about it they a have. little bit. They have. Um they were like, I hate to put them in mid-tier. That's what they're saying. Or it's just they they don't have a lot of faith in the front office. And they were giving us some names. You've got Kaku, Royer, Sims, Velo, who is back and healthy this year, hopefully, and everything. Like, there's some powerhouse names that come out of Red Bulls, but they traded their captain again. And it's just it. This Tradition is a team that buy low, yeah. sell high. Like this is one of those teams that if they had a had a quality front office, they would they should be top tier every year. Wow! And I, I know those guys can't wow. say, like they should be top tier every year, given the way their academy runs, the number of players they can bring up through their system. But the front office just keeps screwing things up, and so they're they're one of my lower mid tier teams just because of the turnover. Kaku's been streaky, and he also kicked the ball at a fan's face. So, I, I mean, I still have um, – I kind of hope he sucks it up all year long. I just – I want him out of the league as quickly as possible. But, I mean, um, last year Royer was the only one I really trusted, and it's just that's the way it is with them right now. So they're bottom mid-tier for me, and I know they've got a lot of good players, but they always seem to underperform or it's scoring by committee. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I was going to say, Blaine. Scoring by committee, good luck. I mean, I can say nice things about the Red Bulls. Yes, the <laughs> team is the star there, and they 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 might do very well you know, to prove to be mid-tier uh, this year. But good luck picking during those weeks who it is going to be that goes off. Because mm-hmm. Royer, I mean, yeah, some weeks he can get two goals, and then he's going to get you two points for the next month. Sims has EPL pedigree, but what has he done in MLS to show us that he's worth any of that yet? He hasn't. Kaku... He was good his first year, and then last year, a couple off-the-field incidents, transfer rumors, kicking balls at fans in SKC, uh, these types of things. Good, good luck finding where that consistency is going to come from. We used to be able to say, oh, you can count on the back line. Their defense, that's a great clean sheet shout. But they sold both their outside backs to Anderlich this offseason, and they did not re-sign Luis Wobles, who's now in Inter-Miami. So outside of the center backs, Aaron Long, who's always having EPL interest rumored here the last couple windows, and Tim Ream, that might not be the names you're used to going to. Fans and players might not feel comfortable picking whoever's sliding into the spots. Um, but like Mike was saying, they could be a great value to ag guys because you're going to be having the Kyle Duncans on the world that might be sliding in there for 4.5. 
um, the Brian White set forward. Everyone, who's Brian White? Is that just a generic made-up name? No, that's a real starting striker in MLS. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> Pre-generated FIFA <laughs> and, right uh, there. But, but you know, he could be <laughs> 6.0 or 6.5, and that could be a nice value option. So that's what the Red Bulls are going to be giving yeah. us this year. Um, I don't think we'll be looking at one player to ride throughout, throughout the entire season unless someone comes out of nowhere. Maybe it is Sims. Maybe Royer finds that consistency. Uh, but I, I think it's more the sum is greater than the parts and the team is the star there for them this year. Yeah, I think chat has it right. Uh, Adam mentioned this again. Stealing my thunder, man. Stealing my thunder. Uh, I have New York Red Bulls as like a bubble, and that's because I do think the Red Bulls have some options that, that could be sneaky. Uh, just like you guys are saying, uh, right circumstances, everything lining up. Usually it's probably going to be someone like Long would be one of the guys that I would look at as a, as a consistent player. And then looking at one of those guys taking a flyer on Roy or Akaku or somebody. That's how I get to the two-player mark. But it is it is a bubble because I could easily see in the right situation that maybe I just go with with Long. And, and that's it. Uh, so and see what form they're in. Other teams for me, I have New England. In the mid tier, uh, they're right there on the bubble. Though I could, I could easily bump New England up into a top tier team when we have players like like Bo and Carlos Heel, and we've got Farrell in the back, and Turner's never bad in, in goal. He's, he's usually does last couple seasons have been pretty solid. So there's several players there, but it just depends on which New England team shows up. And if we get that struggle again, yep. I, I don't know if I can make them a top tier if we start out on the struggle bus. So I have them in mid tier. But again, they're a bubble for me. I, I like the what New England can offer because a lot of those guys, like I said, Farrell, he's got a great history of point production with bonus points. So even if these guys aren't necessarily fantastic on their team, you can still look for them on the fantasy options if they're generating those good bonus points for you. Uh, I have Philadelphia here at the mid-tier, again, for some of the reasons you guys have said. Have some new players. They still have a solid core. I want to see more of what they're going to produce for us before I really decide if they have three people that are worth it for me. And then for me, Toronto. Toronto was a solid mid-tier team for me because of the injury concerns that we've had that have also been lingering and because they also have had some turnover that I'm just not sure who I'm going to want to get. Uh, I do think Gonzalez is a nice little look for the back line, but he might be it that I want for right now. I mean, will Pozuelo be able to produce if he doesn't have Bradley and Josie to, to feed off to? Because we saw that be a problem last year if when he gets focused on his fantasy production also slacks. So for me, they're still a, a solid mid-tier team. Fantasy you guys are talking about Toronto like Josie's backup isn't Patrick freaking Mullins. I hate all. I mean, you guys are all just sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> There's the Homer. There's Homer right there. You like Patrick <laughs> Mullins <laughs> like I like Will Bruin. That's that's what it is. Uh, all right, great. Hashtag, he's a terp. <laughs> I also I also have Miami as a mid tier team. This was tough. A lot of these mid tier teams for me were really tough, but I, I'm inclined to put Miami, like I said in chat or any expansion team in a bottom tier. I did that easily with Nashville last week. But Miami just, they have a core group that that seems okay. Like, I see Uola, I see Trap, I see Wynn, I see Robles. Uh, they just got Zimmerman, right? So Wait, are we putting Trap in the okay category? Yes, I am I am putting Trap in. <laughs> I, I said solid core. They've, they've got these people down here yeah. that, that I look at, I'm like, you know what? That... That could be okay. They've had some early preseason success, so I I'm not as down on Miami 
as uh, I might have been inclined to be, as I normally would be with an expansion team. So, um, the Nashville, thank you, Adam. Zimmer went to Nashville. I knew he went to one of the expansions. It, got, mm-hmm. it gets all mixed up after a while. Uh, but they still have a solid group back there. So, and with Robles leading them, a lot of, a lot of veteran experience. So, mm-hmm. um, Plus, they it, just announced their new designated player today, officially, Rodolfo Pizarro, the oh, Mexican yeah. star. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he's, he's going to look to drive, be the driving force in the center of that midfield, um, creating goals. I'm going to assume off the counterattack. I could see the system they have there being a bit uh, more possession-based than we we're used to seeing from the typical um, your Minnesota, your Cincinnati expansion teams. <laughs> yeah, I feel like with Miami, we're, we haven't seen what they have yet. I, I feel like we're going to get a more complete picture with the summer. I feel like there's like another big move that they need to make. Because um, it's been kind of underwhelming from what they came in with the noise. We we're like, oh, this is going to be LAFC, and they haven't been anywhere close. To you that. mean when they get Neymar, right? That's yeah, when they get yeah. Neymar and Messi and Ronaldo you know, and Suarez. And <laughs> and they, I mean, now that Man City's banned from the Champions League, maybe they'll loan them all to Inter Miami. Uh, who who knows? Um, yeah, I so. think. I'll jump in here on Miami. Like I look at their roster top to bottom, and I see a lot of guys who have started significant games in MLS and unlike other expansion teams that went with a lot of bench options or sub players that they tried to make into starters like they all got a few but they got a few starters but I mean I look at some serious MLS experience here I mean Juan Agadello he may not be good but he's got he's got (laughs) experience uh De La Garza is there I mean when you get Lee Wynn and Will Trapp and Alvis Powell, Luis Robles, Roman Torres. I mean, that uh, Uloa played a lot with Dallas. Like, that's a lot of MLS experience to bring into a to an upstart team, to an expansion team. And then they piled some really good talent around them. I mean, Pizarro is huge. Uh, Pellegrini is young, um, but supposed to be an up-and-comer. I look at this as kind of a bounce to Europe for him and because he's playing for Beckham's team. Like, this is... This is a good one. I like, I like Luis Argudo, Argudo here. Mikey Ambrose is another one that's had some, had shown some good flashes. Like I just see a lot of guys that are either up and coming that you want, but a lot of core MLS talent. I mean, Lee Wynn at 33 is is a good piece just to add to any expansion team to give some solidity in the midfield. Like I'm, it, it's really hard to call this a a bottom tier team. I, I yeah. can't quite put them sure. top tier because they got a lot to prove. And that was oh, my, yeah, <laughs> that that, but that was my basis for all of these teams. That's why I only had one top tier team. Cause I think everybody's got a lot to prove, but could they finish top three in the East with this lineup? Absolutely. Could they finish out well outside the playoff line below the playoff line? I think that's a possibility with any expansion team, but my bets are on this looks like it's a squad built to make the playoffs. And you've got uh, a lot of, quality players and you've got a few headliners which makes really easy fantasy choices yep time will tell yeah i'll I'll agree with what blaine said there that they definitely look like a team that can push for that last playoff spot uh you know five six seven getting that uh away matchup but i will also say that uh, agadello already has a hamstring injury he had to leave the the weekend match early and i saw uh earlier tonight Lee Wynn, there's transfer rumors that he might be going back to Vietnam, oh, Vietnamese, where he first that. came from, to be in what would be rumored, reports say, to be the, the highest-paid player there. So I almost wonder if they're not trying to do some salary maneuvering now 
trying to clear some cap space maybe with Wynn to create the opportunity to bring in more pieces in the summer as they look to build what's mm. clearly a far from finished product. Um, Interesting. But clearly on paper, they, they do have the youth and they certainly have seemed to build themselves from the back forward. Um, mm-hmm. And the great thing about youth is um, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So, you know, if, <laughs> if the coach is going to play them, uh, you know, th- those young guys could get priced into the game at, at cheaper options. And then, you know, if they're able to break through on the back line, they could offer some cheap, uh, cheap defensive options for some bonus points and such as you move through the season. All right, well, let's move on. There are not many teams left to our bottom-tier teams. Mike. All right. Um, let's start off with maybe the worst team maybe next next season. Uh, Montreal. Uh, no Piotti, no party for me. Um, I, I mean, they, they've done nothing, and their only good player is gone. Other than Piete, who's a defensive midfielder, I don't know who to recommend from them for fantasy. So, I mean, when you Tight have air. zero choices, what's that? Tight air? Tight air? I mean, who, who's he passing to? I mean, because most of the time it was tight air passing to Piotti, and we've seen extensive splits with him being really bad without Piotti. Um, so I, I can't trust him anymore either. Um, so I wouldn't pick him. Uh, Orlando's beginning a rebuild. Um, I, I know Orlando fans are very passionate about that their defense is fixed. Uh, but Orlando fans are usually very passionate about their team being good in the preseason. I've yet to see it in the actual season, so we'll, we'll see. I know that's kind of what the goal was, but we'll have to actually see. Uh, and until I see that, I, I can't have them anywhere near the mid-tier. Um, the Chicago Fire, um, they're in the middle of a rebuild, too. I, I know they're making some good moves, but I don't expect them to to be competitive. And fr- frankly, with that symbol and that new logo, I don't want them to be competitive because I don't want to look at it any longer than I have to. Um, and Hot the other team, what's that? Hot takes. <laughs> hot, hot takes. Um, and then FC Cincinnati. I, I do like a lot of what FC Cincinnati has done, but it's it's nowhere near enough. I, I think to challenge for a playoff spot. Blaine. Yeah, I have. Uh, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but uh, Chicago and Orlando are my two bottom tier, and I wish we had a trash tier for Cincinnati this week. I just I like that's too oh, harsh. Yeah. That is that is Blame. too harsh. I I got like, the I got the plug Blame. with with the whole lawsuit thing in the intro, but that's too harsh. Yeah, I just I, I look at their moves this year, and I we didn't like their defense last year. They're only they're only getting worse as far as I can tell. Like, yeah, they brought in two designated player forwards, but if you can't get the ball up to them, like what are you doing here? I mean, Madunjanin's 34. He's going to be covering for the defense so much. What's he going to do bringing forward? I mean, set pieces, but I just, uh, for a team that tried to build from defensive midfielders back and really solidify their defense, they didn't do anything. You've got two designated player, player forwards and their other big transfer this season was Brandon Vasquez, who's another forward. Like, how are you going to get the ball up to them? That's what I see. I don't see the midfield here to really facilitate anything. They may score a few more goals, but if they still give up a record number of goals again, what difference does it make? Like, I just, I have, I, I hate it, but I have no faith in what they're doing right now. Um, and then there's Orlando and Chicago, which Chicago's got the rebranding fiasco. The 
and they just they seem to have lost more players than they've gained. I mean, they've made some pretty decent signings, but they seem to have lost more players this off season. And then Orlando's still Orlando. Like I, everything on paper seems to be looking like it's moving up, but every year they seem to progressively get worse. So maybe that's the one consolation for Cincinnati. If Orlando's going to get worse again this year, they've got to go to the bottom. Josh. Yeah, um, I agree with most of what these guys are saying as far as the bottom tier. Um, we all think we've got that nailed. Uh, Montreal, their best player is their coach, which is generally not <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> um, you know, losing Piatti is a real setback for them, especially so late in the season. We've seen this in the history of MLS when, when teams lose players that are that important to what you're doing, especially on the designated player level in February. It usually is a setback um, going into the season. Uh, you know, I, I know they brought in some pieces last year. Bojan supposed to play up top and, uh, you know, trying to kind of be the driving force to give Tider someone to pass to. Uh, but we didn't see much from him uh, down the stretch last year. Um, they also did bring back the one winger, um, who I'll butcher his name, Aquin, Aquin the, the kid from Italy who had like two goal of the week nominations last year. But if he's not pulling bangers out of his hat like that on a week-in, week-out basis, I still see, think they're going to struggle to see where the points are going to come from um, in you Montreal. Mean yeah. Um, no. They've got no, a different that's, one, that's too. The other, that's the I, midfielder. I haven't, ta- I haven't talked Montreal yet. I, had a, I have them in my mid-tier. They, just, they weren't a highlight for me. Um, you talk about Bojan and Lachalainen. Uh, Aquanko is another yes. one. You had a, you had a lot of yes. mid mid-season acquisitions last year and other than a few select players in MLS nobody comes in their first half season and really lights it up I mean even Clint Dempsey who we all have really fond memories of for fantasy and MLS his first half season in MLS he did almost nothing like that's just one of those things so I see a lot of players that are here um we also have to remember uh Tabla's back he went over with uh Barcelona I think and yeah. he is now back, and that's that's a lot of uh, that's a, a star youth player who had a real shot who is now back. Um, he showed. And the fans already want him gone again, but that's a different story. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. I don't. I don't follow uh, the off the field stuff. But he he, appar- he apparently posted a picture on his Instagram wearing a Toronto jersey, Toronto oh, FC. So that. Oh. So I believe he apologized for that, and they're trying to move on. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's, he's got loads of potential. But if, if he's playing in that Piatti winger role, I mean, he's listed as a midfielder, but he got forward for him. Like if he's playing in that role, I mean, I see a lot of transition here, and we love to hate him in fantasy, but Maxi Arudi is still up top for him. That may be who they're looking to pass to, which may or may not be a good thing. And then I like. I like the addition of Kyoto this year from um, Houston. Like, I just I see a lot of promise here. I can't call them bottom tier, but they do have a lot to prove and probably more than most of the other mid tier. So for me, uh, I agree with you guys with with what you said with the teams: uh, Chicago, Cincinnati, Montreal, and Orlando. I think are all in the bottom tier. Uh, I'm uh, mentioning what was sent out on Twitter talking about the horrible rebrand with Chicago. Uh, yes, actually, this came from Jersey Pete who said, talk about how bad the fire have made this uh, for its fans with that horrible rebrand. Yes, that was horrible. They should have done what Louisville did and said, rebrand. Wait, 
Just kidding. Let's do this again. Uh, I agree. That was that was not great. Uh, but I think those are, are easily the four teams. However, I will quickly address the most egregious thing that has been said tonight, and that is calling FC Cincinnati a garbage team. Because they are not going to be they're they're not going to be uh, a garbage team. I don't think they're going to be anything higher than the the bottom of the team. But I think that this rebuild is much better than the first build. It would have been great if this was the first build. But uh, the statement that Blaine made that is actually correct is that. Uh, the, the big question does fall down to how well can the ball get moved out of midfield into the front. I would suggest that that was the problem last year was that there was just so much pressure put on the defense that they just had to eventually crack because they had no offensive outlet and it was just 100% defense most of the time, which is, I guess, what you assume when you, all you have are defensive midfielders on your team and then crews. But... Uh, with the additions of, of Kubo there, I think that's going to help. With Medunyanin at the back, I think that will help to allow Cruz to be able to go up more to get into the attack and not have to worry about those defensive duties. I think Medunyanin will be a good help to solidify that defense. And uh, Peterson coming in for for a, a center back, I think, will help with uh, that flexibility when Watson, when Watson inevitably gets his, his 37th yellow card in a season. Uh, or a red card straight up in the first game. So whatever happens with him, you'll have a quality person to to replace him with. So I, I don't think they're going to get out of the bottom, but I don't think they're the garbage team that they were last year. And I've had this question sent to me a couple of times on Twitter, so I'll go ahead and answer it right now. Uh, what is success for FC Cincinnati? And my simple question to that is be better. And it's a very low bar. So... <laughs> just be better they've they've pretty much already done it like if if they do everything the same this year but with this lineup i'd be like well that's better you at least have better bones to work with so congrats you you've met my bar so otherwise you guys have all touched on the right things i think well, what i'm excited about for fc cincinnati well, is to see whether they fire their coach more quickly this season than they did last season <laughs> which it looks like it's yeah. quite possible so i'll be super excited if they were was it gonna be the third or fourth Third. Maybe the fifth head coach by the time the, the games kick off on March 1st. So, <laughs> Reed, I was nice and I gave you one out. I said Orlando consistently declines every year. I mean, their <laughs> only place to go is to switch spots with uh, Cincinnati this year. So maybe you won't up. be last if Orlando <laughs> declining. only go up. Uh, but no, fantasy-wise, there there aren't um, any options on Cincinnati that, that jump out at me. Though I'm stoked that Madunian and came over to Cincinnati uh, because I can say his name quickly. Darren Maddox, league MVP. Dan, you are a mean, mean man indeed. Uh, let's go to our third and final segment for the night. Thank you to everyone who has stuck with us, and thank you for those of us who are those of you who are listening in the podcast. Uh, these preseason shows do tend to be longer, and uh, we have to have a lot to cover. We want to make sure you have all the info. We're going to wrap up with our top players, top targets for the East for each position. So this can be pretty quick. You guys can go into as much as you want, but feel free to just say your list. Uh, we're going to start with the top five keepers, Josh. <laughs> top five keepers in the east um i'll be a bit of a homer here and say that number one you've got to look at bill hamid um from dc tied to the league lead last year in uh, clean sheets and was tops in the league in save percentage and the team went ahead and brought him back this year on a permanent transfer 
from Denmark, uh, so you don't have to worry about him going anywhere. Um, so as long as he's healthy, um, DC is a bit more of a in, industrious team. Um, they're looking to protect the net, their own net first and then spring forward. So I think uh, it starts and ends right there with me for me. Oh, one person. That was easy. And that, that, that's it. Well, that's the top tier. Um, oh, okay. Now, if you want to yeah. uh, move forward, uh, we can throw a bone to uh, Mike's man, Sean Johnson, there in uh, NYC. Um, and part of that, from a fantasy perspective, is boosted by the fact that they play in Yankee Stadium, which we all know, um, given its dimensions. So-, so they say their regulation uh, – always seems to generate more bonus points, particularly for center backs. Um, it always seems like there's more aerial clearances um, for center backs for in New York City during home games. Um, but that also creates more um, shot opportunities, but they're not necessarily good shooting opportunities. So I always feel like at home, Sean Johnson always finds his way into a couple extra three or four um, routine saves, it seems like. So mm-hmm. he's always a good one to have, um, have especially on uh, double home games. You know, he's always a favorite, I think, of everyone from the league to uh, jump in and grab. Um, uh, I think uh, another goalie to go with there um, would be Andre Blake in Philadelphia. Um, They didn't lose much on the defensive side this year. Another team likes to maintain possession, build from the back front. Um, Not the best year last year from him, um, but I think you'd look for him to bounce back this year, regain the form we've seen from him over the last several years since he's entered the league. Um, and with the Jamaican team, um, athletic saves. Um, he's, he's good on stopping penalties sometimes, which can make nice five-point bonuses. So I think uh, Andre Blake for the Union would be a good one to have in there. Um, and then still, um, Luis Orbelis in Miami. Um, I know it's a new uh, it's a new setting for him, but I'd look for him to probably – I would be surprised if he's not the captain of that team. Um during the games, and I would look for him to lead that defense and that team from the back as the expansion team tries to get points any way they can. I would imagine they're a bit more conservative in the beginning of the season until we see them, uh, you know, maybe bring in some summer reinforcements when that window opens and then maybe make a push for a a playoff spot, which should always be the goal of any uh, expansion team in year one. Um, and then I'll go ahead and shout out, even though I, I think he's passed well past his prime, but Ragazan, you have to shout out just because Atlanta, a team that possesses the ball so much, wins so much, is capable of throttling a team 2 nothing, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, uh, making the end of the game often meaningless. And, you know, how often have we watched a game where the other teams quit by the 60th minute because there's just, there's just no sense in wasting their energy, save it for the next one. Um, so Bragazon certainly worth um, monitoring his price as he's always a threat to uh, get you um, clean sheets there. Um, Blaine? Yeah, I mean, I got to echo that. Yeah, echo that Bill Hamid um, call. I think that's your best goalkeeper in the Eastern Conference right now on a team that's kind of built to facilitate easy saves. Um Clean sheets are there, saves are there, but the the defense around him really helps elevate him to that next level. Um, and then you got to go with your kind of your top two guys that we love to grab when we can, and that's Brad Gazan and Sean Johnson. I mean, they're both quality keepers. And then the rest of the pack, I mean, I want to see what the team looks like around Robles. I think he's there. Um, whoever Columbus puts out there, I have 
I, I want to see where they go this year. I was looking it up. It looks like it is going to be a battle between Kemp and, or no room, I guess was their starting yeah. guy there. And you got Lampson and Kempson. Yeah. I think I it's mean, Eli room. Yeah. yeah. Room. Yeah. I mean, I just, he fell, he fell off last year or he fell off the radar for me. Um, but they, they gave, I mean, I was looking at, I'm just looking at last year's standings and I look at who gave up less than 50 goals and that's Columbus and Chicago, which Chicago's kind of turned into a dumpster fire, DC, Atlanta, <laughs> and New York city. And I look for those teams and I think Columbus is really built to help out a good goalkeeper. And then, um, Orlando was at 52 goals last year. The one thing they had last year was a pretty solid defense. They just couldn't score worth anything. I wonder who's going to start there and if we see any rotation. I know they've got uh, Kottmeier's 28, and then they've got two guys that I've never heard of before. Or Yeah, I just I don't know what's going to go on there, but I'm going to look at that as potentially a battle. And that may be a spot where you can snag somebody that's a 4.0. So I'm going to definitely be keeping an eye on that because we liked that defense off and on last year. If they had the right matchup, they were definitely some the team we were looking at. And so depending on what the pricing comes out and what rotation may happen there, that's a team I'm going to be watching closely. Mike, anybody to add? I think we've pretty much covered everyone um, in, in, in the East. So uh, <laughs> other than... Yeah, I mean, I think we'll, we'll have to see exa- what exactly the pricing comes out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty much about it. Yeah, the other person I would add, I mentioned him a little bit ago, I'd add Turner to that list. Uh, maybe he's a five or six, something like that. But I, I think depending <laughs> on what New England we see, uh, Turner had several solid games last year. So he's one to keep an eye on with as a potential mm-hmm. keeper or top keeper option. Uh, moving on to defenders. Josh, who do you like here? Oh, so many defender options, and it's hard to really gauge um, if for those of you looking at week one lineups once the game comes up. But if you're starting to think about those options without prices and seeing how everything's going to fit, we really got to push those to the side um, for starters. But um, as far as defenders, I think the first one you want to look at for me is Miles Robinson in Atlanta. Um, as long as he's healthy, I know he, he's already had an injury scare, um, and we might find that out from CCL action coming up soon. Long live CCL. But uh, Miles Robinson always seems one that's good to rack up bonus points um, as well as those clean sheet opportunities. Um, and the new center back they brought in there to play next to him to replace uh, Gonzalez Ferrer's LGP uh, Meza is known for his passing range, but also known for his uh, dribbling up the field. So if you see him taking more um, freedom and territory to, to dribble up the field some this year, that's going to leave Robinson back to protect the back line. Um, so on any counterattack counterattack opportunities, you'll see he would be the one back there for those, um, you know, saving tackles, block shots, those things we like to see that generate um, the bonus points. Another one um, that's always good on both offensive and defensive ends of the field is Birnbaum for D.C. Um, most metrics will show you he's one of the best, if not the best, at uh, aerial percentages in the league. Mm-hmm. Um DC always looks for him on set pieces, frustratingly so, because everyone knows they're looking for him, and yet they still send it to him instead of trying other people anyway. But uh, always has a nose for the for the ball. Um, and like I said, DC, that back line, uh, even Berlant, too, they're both just designed to uh, dare teams to cross the ball and then let Hamid uh, gather it or let the center backs clear it away. So that's kind of what their philosophy is is geared around there. Um, and then the other one for me is Aaron Long. 
Um, assuming he sticks out the whole year in MLS, we don't know. Um, he's always going to have suitors, um, but he's definitely going to always generate bonus points on aerials and that such there on the back line for the Rebels. Um, him and Tim Ream are the uh, only returners from that back uh, back five from last year. So that's one to uh, to pay attention to. And then um, for New York City, um, I've always liked uh, Collins, Alexander Collins, uh, Collins, and what he can bring to the table. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it's always good to have the center backs generating the bonus points on aerials and home games at Yankee Stadium for NYCFC seem to generate even more of those opportunities. Um, so e- either anytime you can get a New York City center back um, in a home game, they're usually a good bet to get you at least three or four points, um, even if they don't get the clean sheet, just by getting those uh, bonus points. I think I actually default to Kyle and Tuesday because he's the cheapest, but um, it really doesn't matter who's um, who's playing for them. You want to make sure you try to get one of those in your squad whenever you can. Um, and then I would shout out Mensa for Columbus. As we've all mentioned tonight, we picked them as one of our dark horses. Um, and Jonathan Mensa seems to be um, – the sturdy piece on the back line for them. I know they brought in some reinforcements, but I still would expect him to get the bulk of the minutes uh, this year. And he's generating those same things, those aerial clearances, tackles. Uh, who's going to get you those bonus points that you're looking for as uh, as you try to set your lineups and try to find out where to get points points from uh, the back. Mike, anybody to add? Um, we were talking about New York City, but we didn't mention Tina Home, um, one of your best threats as far as assists and goals. Um, I think he's up there. Um, other than that, you, you, I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. The cheapest player on the best defense. And, you know, we'll kind of have to see what the prices is. But, I mean, I think that's generally the philosophy. Um, I, I don't think um, Josh Benson Sands, um, who I think will mm. probably be the cheapest uh, of the New York City center backs, um, Miles Robinson is a big question mark for Atlanta. Maybe uh, whoever ends up winning his spot, if he does miss some time, would be important. Um, also, we've talked a lot about New York City this first week. Don't pick New York City the first week because they're playing in CCL. So mm-hmm. that's kind of something to keep in mind. Um, New York City's in CCL, and so is Montreal, which is weird because you don't think that Montreal is good enough to be in CCL, and they're probably not, but they are. So <laughs> what you should do is you should pick against Montreal. Other than that, I, I, don't, I don't have much to add right now. Yeah, CCL's a big curveball. Blaine, anything to add? Not a whole lot. Um, DC center backs <laughs> usually get good points. Um, I do think Gressel's going to be a defender, so you got to throw him out there, especially if he's going to be playing out of position. Like, I think he's one of the few going to be premium guys that you really want to look into. Um, the guy I'm watching price-wise, and I think his name's going to be awesome for the show too, um, uh, Vito Wormgore. I mean that just that just name just screams tough on defense, but um thirty one year old coming in from the Netherlands for Columbus. Um they they gave up a Bubakar last year. Like uh, we know Mens is kind of or their starting starting center back, but the the guy who's gonna pair with him. Um I'm really curious what Wormcore is gonna come in price wise. Uh just this is a defense I really like, and I can't believe nobody said it, but Harrison Awful should be back and healthy this year. Uh, one of your best scoring wingbacks that you can get in the Eastern Conference right now. 
um, especially if Gressel uh, behind Gressel. I mean, Gressel was just outstanding. But I mean, he's kind of your next best one. But he took that injury last year and missed a lot of time. So I think we've forgotten about him a little bit. But don't sleep on him. He could be worth it. I think he'll come in at 6.0. But uh, still, even at 6.0, I think with the early season hopefully giving us more than $100 million to spend. Um, I think you can afford a 6.0 wing back, and he's going to be top of my list to look at when the matchups are there. Going to chat, Adam has thrown out Brooks Lennon as a uh, Atlanta alternative to, to Miles Robbins. And we have uh, Elliot, Jack Elliott from Philly mm. as another option that he is throwing out for potentials. Uh, for me, you guys have covered most of who, who I – had on my list i mentioned several of the columbus players earlier i like I like a lot of those guys back there so you have some good options there i'm also going to put Farrell. i talked about him up top de la Maya, i guess is another one but Farrell just has a great history of bonus point production there's several guys who have some good bonus point production that aren't necessarily on uh great teams uh, so you can check out some of those stats for for the defensive bonus points, but uh, I like Farrell as another one that I throw out there as a potential go-to for for the defense. Uh, let's go to midfield, Mike. Who do you like? Oh, well, I talked about Max Morales. Um, I, I still think you know, even though there is a system change, and I, I still think he'll probably be the best uh, midfielder as far as consistent, dependable bonus points. Um, even with a new coach, I don't expect him to change too much as. So I think, still think New York City will put an emphasis on passing the ball and keeping possession, and Max Morales is going to be the guy that everything goes through. So if New York City is scoring, he's going to get a little bit of piece of that. So he's pretty dependable. Um, other than that, I think it, a lot of it is unknown in this section because a lot of the big Mexican signings that we talked about from Miami, Columbus, D.C. are probably going to be slotted into the midfield. Um, I, I could see a lot of those guys being pretty productive and, and being guys we want to talk about. But, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for me to, to say um, right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Pity Martinez does as a second full mm-hmm. season. Um, I'm kind of expecting a little bit more from him. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think we saw a little bit more consistency once he kind of settled down um, in, in, the second, in the second half of last year. But but other than that, I mean, I think that's kind of um, – if Gressel is a midfielder, he's probably one to watch for uh, there as well. If Wynn stays, um, I think he could be a really good value pick. Um, and then, uh, obviously, Carlos Heel. Uh, I was like, oh, no, I'm mm-hmm. forgetting something. Carlos yeah. Heel, I, I, th- I think him and Bo are, are going to be a very dynamic duo, uh, and I expect him to be just as dominant um, this season as he was in the second half of last season. Josh, anybody to add? Uh, I don't think anyone shouted out Alejandro Pozuelo yet for Toronto. Um, so I think that's a good one to keep an eye on. Um, I saw the rumors where he was playing some on the right wing this preseason. Um, so that could be intriguing wrinkle uh, to generate some offense for him if he's given the option to cut in on that left foot of his mm-hmm. or maybe still get to the byline and cross the ball in. Plus, he's still taking all the set pieces, I would imagine, for uh, Toronto. Um, so that's always one to to uh, keep an eye on. And then I would shout out um, Carlos Hill's a good one for New England, if only because they brought in a lot of other strikers this year um, with Adam Berska, and they got Penula coming off the bench, and Bo 
you never know maybe who's going to score the goals in New England, but you know who's going to be generating the offense and generating the bonus points and the assists, mm-hmm. and that'll be uh, Carlos Hill. And then also for Columbus, um, I'm excited to see what Lucas Zellerayan can do, um, their, tra- their transfer from Liga Mekis. I think if Columbus is going to really ascend to that dark horse we were all hyping him up to be, it's going to be because this guy hits the ground running in the league. Um, so that might be one that's worth uh, having in your lineup uh, week one just to say, okay, this guy's been given the keys to the engine. Let's see let's see if he knows how to drive. Um, especially given some of the other ones, like we talked about, Flores, uh, you know, is uh, maybe not hitting the ground running because he was injured. Um, I think Russell's probably going to be put it a midfielder. I hope I hope he's put in as a defender. That would just be an awesome half of the game. And I, I feel like they're gonna Yeah, I don't I feel like they're gonna do screw that. us all over. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna if he's gonna be a, a ten million dollar midfielder that no one's gonna want to play because the price won't weigh the results. Um what we've been used to getting out of him as a value pick the last couple of years. I think he actually could end up going the other way if uh, they have him priced too high. And then uh, the new Miami signing they just got Rodolfo Pizarro I assume he'll be a midfielder. He certainly seems like he's going to slot into that number 10 role, um, maybe drifting out wide some in games. We'll see how they set it up. But that's definitely going to be one of the hot uh, newcomers coming onto the scene in the East as far um, as the midfield options go. But add Blaine? Um, no, I just – I don't know. Did Pedro Santos get a shout-out here yet? Nope. I was going to do that, but you got it. Yeah. Um, like – Looking at it, there's there's a lot of changes going on in the East right now. There's a lot of a lot of question marks or a lot of scoring by committee or just whatever. Uh, I think your top three are Maxi, um, Heel, and uh, Pedro Santos. I think he's your one of your top three midfielders in the Eastern Conference at this moment. And then there's a lot of guys that have potential. Kaku, Robles. Um, I'd put Montiero from Philadelphia up there. Could be that next line of midfielders. Um, I want to see what they price Tabla at for Montreal. Um, if he comes in seven, seven and a half, um, he could be a huge steal at that point um, because I, I just he's going to be getting work and somebody's got to fill Piotti's shoes. And I, I just think if he's going to be playing, he's one that's going to be on my radar. But no, I think you're you've got a, too many teams here that are just going to be scoring by p- committee. And I think Pazuelo is really going to suffer. That's why he's not up there with the injuries. You don't have Bradley behind him. You don't have Josie to feed the ball to. I know they've got some quality players still, but it, teams are going to focus on him. And I just think he's going to kind of fall away until he gets his support pieces back. Adam's thrown out uh, Oravec, who's the new D-mid over in Philadelphia, sort of taking over um, Manunyanin's place. And uh, that could be an interesting play to see if he has the same sort of consistency that Manunyanin had, but uh, may not have the same high ceiling as the others but no you guys have covered everybody i had santos was my last one so let's just move on to forwards josh take us home oh geez where to start um well we'll start easy um in the east ola kamara is like we talked about earlier the only striker for dc um that's got any mls minutes or goals to his record um he had three goals in his five games last year not all of those were starts so I think if you're looking for a breakout forward, um, where are the goal is going to come from in D.C.? That breakout forward, obviously it starts with Ola um, up top. I mean, I think he could end up having his best season to date. Um, now that he's he's settled, he's the guy in the offense. He's not stuck behind Kai Kamara. He's not coming in midseason when someone gets traded. 
Kai Kamara. He's not getting shipped to China a couple months into the season because someone else is coming in, Vlatan. Um, this is finally his his chance to, to shine. Um, and the guy's got over 50 goals in his MLS uh, career for in three different franchises. And uh, I think there might only be you know, 25 or 30 guys that have 50 career goals or more in MLS. So it's not a huge list that he's on it. Um, so that's definitely the first one uh, to pop off. Um, I know this will get a lot of hate, but I'm going to sit anyway. Uh, Josie Altador in Toronto. Um, if he can stay healthy, he is the striker. His price point might not um, be budget friendly every week, but if Pozuelo is moving out to the right side and they brought in Pablo Piatti to play on the other wing, presumably um, their new third designated player signing um, from La Liga, um, if whole guys are feeding him service along with Osorio or Delgado or De Leon, um, Bradley eventually will be back um, midway through the season. So if he can stay healthy and there's really no reason he can't be the 20 goal scorer, we've always knew he can be as long as, you know, like I said, that health is there. Um, that That's really up for him to, uh, to determine, but, but, I'm going to keep driving that home until he finally gets one of those 20-goal seasons to actually have it. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, another breakout I'm going to go ahead and mention here under the radar uh, for the Philadelphia Union is uh, Sergi Santos. Um, he's the guy they brought in last year. He was supposed to um, maybe come in and be a piece for them. Um, it ended up being Casper that broke out. Um, and Santos had an injury. And as we talked about earlier, it's so hard the first year in MLS. It takes a lot to adapt. Um, but they paid a decent price for him. And I would imagine this year they're still looking to get results um, from what they invested in. And I think he could be one that might finally break out, especially if they end up playing the diamond 4-4-2. Um, you don't see a lot of two-striker setups. Um, and I think that might be something that might start to finally tilt back the other way if we can find a team that can show two strikers still works in this league. Um, maybe that's a, that's a trend that they could be out in front of there in Philadelphia. And then the one I'm actually really excited about, and Reed might like this one. I hope I'm not stealing your guy, but Locadia or Locadia um, from uh, the EPL that they brought over in Cincinnati. Um, I'm a little worried because his loans only through June guaranteed. So that's a big risk. Um, and I know there's a hefty fee if they do agree to um, transfer him over full time. But I mean, he's got all the talent in the world. If they can just find a way to get the ball that far up the field, <laughs> as you guys were joking about earlier to him, um, you know, whoever is getting fed in Cincinnati, just like most other offenses, tends to score. And he certainly has the pedigree um, that you would look for. Um, I would imagine Reed's pretty excited about him, but he probably wants to temper his expectations. That's why I'm trying to shout it out here for him. Appreciate it. <laughs> but, uh, Appreciate it. You know, he, he, he could hit the ground running um, or he could be gone in June. I mean, that's, that's the risk that comes in. But he's definitely one to keep an eye on in Cincinnati early on in the season. Um, I saw they brought in another midfielder forward today from Ajax. It looks like they're signing. Um, I forget the name. It's like a 30 or 31-year-old. Bit of an injury history. But Cincinnati is continuing to still add pieces to that offense. They clearly have the funds. They're going to keep throwing money at the problem until they get it right. So, um, And someone's going to benefit from that. And then the other one I'll shout out um, is Herber for New York City. Um he was just such a clean, crisp finisher in and around the box last year when he came in. Um, you know, that was, and he came in mid season. He, he was gelling with the team still. 
And I feel like this year the roles might finally switch where he does become the guy, the main scorer that Maxi is feeding in that offense. Because, frankly, Castellanos last year scored with every body part he could imagine. So many lucky goals bouncing it. I don't even know how that guy managed that. And I just don't think he can replicate that type of season again this year. Um, so I feel like most of those most of those goals are not going to be easy to come by for him. And hopefully uh, with a good bill of health, we can see Urbear uh, kind of pick up that the bulk of the scoring was there um, with the new coach at NYCFC. All right. Blaine. So I think most I think most of the big names have been hit, so I'm just gonna drop a really big hot take. Um I think <laughs> I think I think the golden or the top scorer in the East is going to come down to one of two guys. I think they're gonna be they're gonna finish one above and one below Joseph Martinez. So these two guys are gonna be in the top three. And it's either Giassi Zardes or Ola Camaro being the top scoring forward in the Eastern Conference this year. One of them is going to knock off Martinez, and I think the other one's going to finish third. I, I think Martinez will be up there. Like I'm not saying that he's not in the race, but I think we're going to have a new winner this year for the Eastern Conference anyway, and I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Mike, anybody to add? Um, Not really. Maybe Brian White from the New York Red Bulls um, as one of your cheaper forward options. Mm-hmm. Um, people get mad if I recommend Patrick Mullins, but if Josie does get hurt, He's between Pozuelo and, uh, you know, Toronto's version of Piotti. Um, can get some cheap bonus points. Um, I don't do, – did we mention Bo in, in a forward yet? I, I don't remember. Um, but I, I think his partnership with Heal uh, is, is very profitable. So I, I think I would look to him um, as well. But, I mean, we, we probably can't say enough about Josie Martinez uh, or Joseph Martinez. Um, talking too, many, too much about Altidore. I'm mixing up names now. Um <laughs> Joseph Martinez, uh, I think, is you know the leader in the clubhouse. Um, Abair, if he stays healthy and with a full season, um, should be right up there with him. Um, there, I mean, there are a lot of forwards. I, I think of both like Jossie Zardes and Ola Kamara. Um, we're just kind of dependent on what we said, the Mexican um, midfielders, how they adjust. If they come in and their lights out, like Zardes will bang in a lot of goals, and, and you want to jump on that bad wa- bandwagon very quickly. Um, so that'll be interesting to, to see play out. All right, you guys have covered everybody I had. Uh, great lists, so thank you so much for that. And, Josh, thank you so much for saying nice things about Cincinnati. <laughs> hey, Bonus I don't points. think you guys are going to finish last in the East if it means anything. Uh, it does. It does, and I don't think so either. <laughs> you only got one direction to go. That's right. We can only, Like I said, be better. That's that's my only be- that's my only thing. Well, well, you said be better, but their coach is already on leave, and they already had a player catch a felony, and we haven't even started the season yet. So, it's, it's a tr- I'm seeing a trend, Reed. I'm a little concerned. But, Last year we had yeah, a coach leave. We had the whole DUI thing. So, just be better. Not not three, yes. just two. Uh, Keep your strikers out of trouble. That's right. Yeah, we'll see. Um, well, that's all that we have for the show today. Ending on that positive note. Uh, <laughs> Uh, again, I'm gonna next week. I'm gonna be announcing the new Patreon swag, so so keep a lookout for that. Uh, I've been I've been we've been told that we should expect the game sometime this week. So I was kind of waiting for the game to start out to so to get some more momentum going before announcing the Patreon. So I'm gonna wait one more week because it should come out sometime this week. We've been told, or at least last week, 
it was tweeted out next week. It's coming, so I'm assuming that means this week. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but check out Patreon, patreon.com slash MLSFI if you want to learn more about how you can contribute to the show to help us keep doing what we do. And we're going to be having prize leagues as well. So I don't know if we'll give out weekly prizes. Depends on how many people join us for Patreon. Uh, but we're definitely going to try to have uh, some prizes. I'm, I'm going to see what the funds look like to maybe try to do prizes along with each of the quarters or whatever they end up being for the chunks. Uh, but we'll at least try to give out maybe uh, two rounds of prizes uh, in some way. But um, multiple leagues, prizes, all that's going to be available. Check that out coming soon. Uh, some of the team preview articles have started coming out. We have LAFC up now, and some more are going to start coming out tomorrow. So check that out over at MLSFantasyBoss.com. Uh, other than that, what about you guys? Uh, Blaine, you got anything for us? Uh, nothing this week. Mike? Uh, nope. I mean, unless you want my son score report from soccer practice that made me late. <laughs> oh. Well, maybe. Was it good? <laughs> he got a goal. He got a there goal again. Go. So, I mean, he's good. he went down from last week, but he, but he played a better team. There we go. That makes sense. Josh, anything you would like to plug on your first time on the show with us? Uh, no, just happy to be here. Um, if anybody wants, go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter at Salisbury United. Um, that's really the only place you can get a hold of me if you want to interact. Um, I'm always game to talk about fantasy or if you guys have questions um, about what we've talked about here tonight or questions about players we didn't get to talk to you about yet or anything like that, um, you know, you can reach me there. Um, the only other thing I'd plug would be uh, – this Twitter handle is Give Send Go. It's a Christian crowdfunding-based site. And uh, I really think it's important in life, um, especially if you guys are out there winning any money in fantasy, uh, DraftKings or anything like that, to pay it forward. So if, if you guys felt the need and arise, wanted to go out and find a campaign that might mean something to you on uh, Give Send Go and go ahead and uh, give someone some money and pay it forward. And uh, I think it's never... Um, never a bad time to show that the fantasy community can care about other things non-fantasy related so that's awesome that's awesome thanks for mentioning that that's cool all right that's all we have for the show tonight thank you so much everyone who is listening to us on the podcast who joined us for the live stream uh sent questions on twitter and everything Uh, without you all this is not anywhere near as fun or possible at all so good luck